0: This episode of Converge with my guest, Nathan Contley is sponsored by WeaveWriter. WeaveWriter empowers you to write every day, tell better stories and make every word count through the power of habit. For more information, check out WeaveWriter.com. Converge is my chance to connect with creatives who make really interesting things and when they can, profit from those things, often in ways that might surprise you. My background as a photographer and author gets me in conversations with visual storytellers and writers but also musicians, actors, business and thought leaders, basically people who work very hard, not just to make a buck, but also to make a point. The invitation is to understand a little more of the context that surrounds their work and hopefully discover a fresh perspective that might inspire something new around the value you're making in the world. When it comes to making things and making money from things, we require certain tools to do that. And Oftentimes, people who make things like me on the front end of life tend to take for granted the tools that make that even possible. Well, today we have a real treat. Nate Cotney is an entrepreneur. He's also a developer and a creative that does just what I'm describing. He makes tools that have remarkable impact on people, and he's done it in a variety of ways. And when I came across his work, I reached out to him directly and just said, Not only am I impressed with what you've built, but uh, would you come on board and help us think through as a community, how we could both appreciate the tools that we get to use, but also begin to create new tools and innovation and collaboration in a way that would benefit everyone. So as you guys listen, I hope you are as inspired as I am around what can be done when you really get creative, when you really open yourself up and you begin to share and collaborate in new and innovative ways
1: just the fact that if you really understood how people have a process in the world and you start kind of shaving off steps, you'd come up with these ideas and a lot more ideas. You'll, You'll come up with some other cool stuff. I'm your host, Dane Sanders, and I want to welcome
0: you to Converge.
1: Nate Cotney, welcome to Converge. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was uh, a very flattering intro. Thank you.
0: <laughs> well, it's so funny. I, I I don't want to be flattering because flattering can sound like, a, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to get anything from you.
1: No. Uh, I, oh, yeah. Totally. But,
0: but I, I mean it sincerely. Uh, Thank you. What you have built, uh, in the, in the like, you've built a lot of things that I'm getting introduced to, but the, the, the project that you're in the middle of right now that I'm especially passionate about around writing. And those who listen to me and, and know a little bit about my own projects, I, I work on a project called Weave Writer. Uh, dot com but i stumbled as i've been researching tools and cool kind of vehicles to get people to make writing a core technology i stumbled onto draft com, which is what you've created nate and i'm wondering if if you could uh i'll say more about my own experience as a user later but will you just share a little bit of your history of what got you to this place of creating DraftIn, and it's really called draft but it's draftin.com. and um and I think people will be a little inspired by the pretty um, eclectic past that brought you to today.
1: So I, um, so yeah, so I, I, w- I studied chemical engineering in college. Um, you know, I, I was good at chemistry. It seemed like a good job to get. Um, I did in, you know, what a lot of engineers do in college, they get internships. I had an internship after my junior year at a uranium processing plant uh, in, in near Kentucky. It's not a really great place to work. I mean, it's it's fine. You know, there's lots of people working there. They make good livings, but it's it's a tough job. It's a tough place to work. Like a lot said, of you, harsh conditions. I was
0: going to say, when you say tough, like coal mining tough, or like what does that mean?
1: Maybe in a way. I mean, it's you're dealing with ke- weird chemical reactions that are that are. You know, so in this process, uh, it was fluorinating uranium, if you want to get really technical. And so when you fluorinate uranium, you're actually using hydrofluoric acid, which is one of the worst, if not the worst, acids on the planet. And so you have to be very careful safety-wise with this type of thing. So everybody's walking around with gas masks, wow. sometimes different kinds of gas masks, because there's multiple different kinds of things that can get you at this type of place. Well,
0: let, let me interrupt. That, that reminds me of, like, Breaking Bad when they would dispose of bodies. Like, is it that kind of chemicals? Yeah,
1: definitely. Okay. Exactly. Okay. okay. Um, I mean, I wore suits like you see in Breaking Bad. Uh <laughs> to protect myself in, in situations. And so it's, you know, it was a summertime in Kentucky. So already it's over a hundred degrees outside and wow. you put on one of these acid proof suits, similar to what you saw in breaking bad. And you just become soaking wet inside this thing instantaneously, you know, cause these things don't breathe. Um, and so, yeah. And then you walk through a Geiger counter, you know, when you leave to make sure you haven't taken any uranium with you or none of it's gotten on you and contaminated you. Wow. Um,
0: you got injured by, not by the yeah. chemicals. You got you just yeah. like twisted your ankle or something.
1: Exactly. So I I ended up just breaking my ankle that summer, just playing basketball at at in at an apartment I was renting. Were you wearing the uh,
0: suit when you played basketball? I'm-
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that was the funny thing too is you couldn't take any equipment out of this place, or you'd get you'd get immediately dismissed. Um, and I think I think a couple of people got dismissed because they wore their acid suits or their work uniform or something like that to uh, get pizza one day. Anyway. <laughs> But I uh, I broke my ankle, um, and so I, they wouldn't let me into the plant anymore because they didn't want my cast to get contaminated with uranium because once it's contaminated, then I'm, you know, you can't remove those casts unless you, you know, really take them off and then cause another problem. And so I broke my ankle. They would only let me work in this trailer basically with a computer. They don't want me around any of the chemicals anymore. And so the rest of the summer, I basically just programmed a computer. I would just program macros on an Excel spreadsheet. I did some some other kind of programming to kind of help people just kind of manage some operations of the plant. And I just fell in love with it. I just really liked this idea that I could like program logic into a computer. I didn't have to worry about breathing in anything toxic. And I could just make stuff. And it was like you'd make something or you'd work on making something and then you could see it in action like the same day. Yeah. A big problem with chemical engineering is you work on these problems and you don't see the results of anything forever. You might not even solve the the, the problem you're actually trying to you know, tackle for years, if ever. And so I really like this idea of just making things on computers and I fell in love with it. So when I got done with college, I just I took a job that would just kind of take me out of chemical engineering. I, I started working for Accenture, and I just started work I tried to start working on software and, and programming computers.
0: So as you're as you're sharing that, what, what's occurring to me is number one, for the non-engineer out there, you're giving a very accessible definition of what engineering really is, which is methodically solving problems, whether it be with chemicals and chemistry or computers or, you know, big machinery in an industry or whatever. And that engineering is just really complex problem solving. Is that a fair summation?
1: Yeah, definitely. I love solving problems. I love, if you give me a puzzle, it's hard for me to like do anything until I solve it. And so, yeah, I mean, so exactly. Engineering was just a way for me to play with problem solving and solving puzzles.
0: So, so with the, the idea of making the jump from uh, the chemical world to really computer engineering and developing this approach of—I'm in, in like, a photographer by trade and I solve problems—but it's a different kind of, a different set of problems mm-hmm. that have to be solved. Um, mm-hmm. But so in my mind, especially for this kind of a conversation, for you know this converging circles of business and creativity, as people approach their work from a problem-solving mindset, what I'm hearing in your description is there's a lot of latitude. If, if you're applying the, the skill set of solving a problem, you could laterally solve other problems. Uh, like it's funny, as a photographer jumping to audio, I was surprised at how much, for example, like layering of audio versus like layering in images uh, in Photoshop. There was real kind of metaphors mm-hmm. that were simple to understand just because I made a lateral shift. And I'm wondering, um, I, I'm long-winded, not even asking a question, more just giving commentary to how powerful that idea is if people, especially if they feel stuck in what they're doing, that they could reapply a skill set in maybe an, a neighboring field that that could really work. Sure. Does, does that sound right to you?
1: Oh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, if I were to do college again, I would probably go into, like, computer engineering or computer science, but I don't really regret chemical engineering either. I mean, it, it really... It, like you're you're saying, like, I mean, it was an education in problem solving more than it was just, you know, knowledge about chemistry and reactions. I mean, it was basically like a boot camp in problem solving. I mean, we would be up, chemical engineering is a tough education and we would be up all night constantly just working on, you know, different types of problems and and solving different kinds of challenges our teachers would give us. And I I think I got a really good education in the real world of, of trying to solve people's problems.
0: So, so as you go through that process and you're solving these problems and you make the transition and you're and you're now building software, talk a little bit about what got you into creating this new thing called Draft, uh, which is an iterating tool and a collaborative tool for writing.
1: Sure, I mean, so you know, I after Accenture, and, I mean, it, and forgive me, you're right. I cut. I forgot about the. No, other two no, ones. no, it's fine.
0: Tell about the Y Combinator thing and then come oh. come back to that.
1: Yeah, I'll quickly get through that. So, I mean, I. I um You know, I worked at a couple different places, uh, and then I decided I always have wanted to be an entrepreneur, always have wanted to start my own company. So Y Combinator is a uh, kind of a seed funding investment group. Um, They give a little bit of money to entrepreneurs who then hang out with this kind of group of investors for about three months of the year. Um, I did this at the end of 2005, the beginning of 2006. We were the second batch of Y Combinator. Uh, the first batch out of Silicon Valley, and we started a company with them, and, and that company's still around today called Inkling at inklingmarkets.com. Um, I did that for five, six years, and then I wanted to do it again. So in 2011, I started another company with Y Combinator. Uh, that one it didn't go as well, I and mean, we started this thing that, like, we just we didn't quite get the right traction we wanted. So. My partner went to go back to what we were doing at Inkling. I ended up working for the Obama campaign for six months, the tech the tech team at the Obama campaign. And then after the Obama campaign, I was kind of back to square zero or square one trying to figure out what I wanted to do again. And I realized, I mean, I, I've been doing so much blogging over the past few years. Blogging and writing have been re- really important to me. Just solving problems I had as a writer, as a blogger, um, I just started putting these tools together uh, for publishing and version control. And it just, it just became the software tool called draft. And I, uh, I shared it with friends. I shared it with people from the Obama campaign and it just, it just snowballed from there.
0: I came across uh, an author over the summer named Nicholas Talib and he wrote a book called anti-fragile. Sure. Have you, are you familiar with that book?
1: Yeah, I haven't read—I mean, I've read excerpts of it, but he's written, you know, Black Swan, yeah. and, and I've read some stuff that Malcolm Gladwell's written about him. He's a really neat guy.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he's he's uh, <laughs> he's an eccentric guy for sure. Yeah. But, but what I like about his premise—and folks who are familiar with my show, you've heard me talk about uh, the antifragile concept in the past, but uh, let me just give a little context because I have a question for you on the back end of this. So Tlaib makes the case that the most predictable thing in life— are what he calls these things called black swans or black swan event, where something comes your way, some cataclysmic, awful, unexpected, not your preference set of circumstances. And, you know, every December we do a year review in this part of the world. And, you know, no one is surprised that some really bad things have happened over the course of this year, because it's, it's very predictable. Bad things happen in the world we live in. And what he says is people ought to be smart and anticipate those things and put themselves in a position. So they benefit from the the black swans that come your way in fact Mm. he says that humans are actually made to you know when bad things come your way if bad things come your way and you crumble he he, we call that fragile if bad things come your way and you're the same you're resilient but if bad things come your way and you actually get stronger than you're what he calls anti-fragile and in the process he begins to talk about different technologies and how technologies can be anti-fragile too. Some technologies are, are really interruptible and other technologies are really not just robust, but they get stronger over time. The more they get uh, things around them are kind of attacked, so to speak. So here we are, we're living in this world of massive commoditization where, you know, digital is touching everything from, you know, anything that's recordable with a, a one or a zero uh, can now instantly be commoditized and scaled. So as a result, there's this huge abundance of stuff, of technologies. And when I say technology, I mean, like, everything from, like, the pencil and a chair, that's a technology, to, you know, really fun, cool stuff that we all think about on a consumer level with technologies. And as I'm reading um, uh, Antifragile, I'm thinking, what is the ultimate core technology to humans? And in my mind, it came down to kind of original thinking, like ideas, That it seems as though there's artificial intelligence that could come along and make really interesting combinations or or mashups of ideas. But what I'm really impressed with is original thought by human beings. And original thought is usually captured through the technology of writing. So that was a really long winded way to make the case for writing, it seems to me, should be a human core technology. And it seems as I'm hearing you tell your story about really coming up against the personal problem of how do you record your ideas? How do you collaborate around your ideas? How do you get you iterate with those ideas? That that's what left you with the idea of, well, we have a serious problem here. Let's solve it with draft. Is that is that a fair summation of what got you to this process?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I do elevate writing to one of the most important things I could be doing, other people can be doing. I, I also think it goes very overlooked in terms of you know, how people do it, how people practice it, how people get better at it. I mean, it's, it's become this like super useful and important tool uh, for me to just get ahead in life from everything from, you know, getting new jobs and, and investors and meeting people have all taken, you know, the, the, the right type of email, the right type of message that I've written out from and then from everything from just getting an audience around the stuff I do with draft. It's all about then what I write, how I share stories I have elevated writing to be probably the most important thing that I do. I mean, draft was just then a consequence of just trying to make that better in my life.
0: So in in creating draft, and and maybe at this point, I'm guessing listeners, if they're not driving or jogging, you may have already kind of wandered over to draftn.com and you're looking at the screen and you're saying, okay, I have a web app here that allows you to write. It understands really cool things like Markdown. If you don't know what Markdown is you know, go to markdowntutorial.com or something. You can find out more about it or go to Weave Writer. There's plenty of stuff there about it, but Markdown is just a really cool way to write quickly and format quickly at the same time. And this app that you created does that, but you also do, you went a lot further uh, in terms of collaborative tools. And, and you've already mentioned this thing called version control. Why don't you explain just for a second, if if someone were to write something and they wanted version control, maybe in collaboration with a team or like, like a blogger and they wanted an editor or or whatever, How does version control
1: work? Yeah, I mean, draft just comes from—I'll go back to, you know, the problem I was trying to solve for myself, which was just, you know, I I blog frequently. I I try and publish a blog post about once a week uh, at a blog called Ninjas and Robots. I want to do some crazy stuff with the stories and how they flow. And what I was doing was, since I don't want to lose any of that, since I don't want to, um, you know, since maybe I want to bring those stories back in even after I've edited them out or maybe use them for another article or blog post down the road, I was copying and pasting all of my blog posts. Whenever I was making a major change, I would copy and paste it to an Evernote note that I had. So I'd have, for one blog post, I'd have this one Evernote document, and in that note was just copy and paste like 12, 15, 20 times of the same document over and over and over again, just just as a backup, Um, just to save all those different versions. Um, You know, and people do this all the time in like the business world. We're, We're constantly like saving a Word document, but we'll save it as like version one, version two, and then you have all these documents in the same folder with the same name, underscore V1, V2. And so I just made, so the first thing that draft was, was simply just as I write, I can just hit a button and draft will save a version. So then I, you know, can go look at all those versions in a really nice organized way so that I can, you know, see what this document has done over the course of time. I don't have to save multiple documents. I don't have to go through a giant Evernote document. I just kind of formatted that process and made it simpler. And it was the start. The next thing I wanted to solve was just getting versions for my wife. My wife is, is this awesome editor of mine, and I wanted to be able to send her a document and to accept her changes. And the only way we were accomplishing that was emailing her the document. She'd paste it in a Word, track changes in Word, send me a Word document back. And I just wanted to make that more streamlined. And so basically, I just built that type of functionality in a draft where you could accept a change, ignore an individual change. Uh, all from an online place uh, that you can 't do with something like Google Docs, just those two features just kind of were the core of draft, and i 've just kind of gone crazy after that
0: well, you have because you 've not only gone so now as you know if listeners are thinking about whatever you 're doing as a creative so if you 're making stuff and trying to make money from that stuff somewhere in your in your world, you have to think about it and write down what you 're doing right so you know if you 're a musician you 're writing notes on a piece of paper or on, on an ipad or whatever if you 're Uh, a photographer, even you're in your blogger, you know, there's words that have to come out at some point, you have to write uh, proposals to people, whatever, whatever kind of creative you are, you are taking your ideas and creating some kind of notation for it. And now you've articulated a, a solution to the problem of as you iterate, how do you keep track of them without having to ditch your old versions over and over again, and have it all be have it work in a in a thoughtful workflow. But then you added this notion of, Other people collaborating with you, being able to pick which ones are like master versions without losing options where there's certain things that maybe there's one aspect of one version that you want to go back to and you don't have to like reformat the whole thing. But then, Nate, you went one massive step further and you introduced this whole idea of inviting other like professional editors, like editor services within your app. Like that, that just blew me away. Like, of course. Thanks. Of course. And talk a little bit about like how, and, and by the way, this is a bit of a plug because it's so stupid cheap, what you've, the way you've said it up, but how do people take advantage of if they want a professional set of eyes to look at their work as a blogger, as a writer, um, and uh, they just want like a, a little bit of time or a little bit more kind of robust uh, view, uh, how do they take advantage of editing services from within the app with real human beings?
1: sure. Sure. Professional writers, um, you know, book authors. A lot of us have the um, have the the benefit of of kind of having a professional copy editor. But it's a very lengthy process to find these copy editors. We need to interview them, or we need to have relationships with publishers to have them. And it's it's not this easy process. It's also not cheap if you're hiring one. Usually, you have to kind of interview them. Uh, and so, I wanted to kind of fix those steps. I wanted to make it simpler to kind of tap into a copy editor. Um, You know, sometimes my wife, she's super busy and she doesn't have time to help me edit a blog post. How can then I get my own copy editor for a blog post? Uh, And how can I do it as quickly and cheaply and conveniently as possible? And so that's what I created this service in Draft. It's a button. You just click it called Ask a Pro. And basically in two clicks, your, your document, whatever you were writing in Draft, is now in a queue that someone, a professional writer, uh, that I have on staff is going to look at it and spend either 15 minutes or 45 minutes, depending on what you paid for it, looking at your document. So it's kind of like a friend looking over your stuff. It's just this person is guaranteed to do it. And yeah, it's like a 24 hour turnaround time. So if you have a blog post that you're publishing tomorrow, you just send it to ask a pro and, and they'll look over it for you. That's that's the editing service.
0: It's funny when you're describing removing steps, what, uh, you know, my background in grad school is I studied philosophy. And you know, a core concept, any kind of basic philosophy, is this idea of you know Occam's Razor of trying to find the simplest method or simple, really, simplest explanation for a given phenomenon. And you are kind of reverse engineering Occam's Razor. You are applying Occam's Razor to real problems and removing steps. My my brother in law was a professional, uh, well, semi pro rock climber uh, earlier in his life, and mm. he would describe a similar method where he would just, he would he'd be like, well, if I can put my hand or foot. One less time on the rock, oh, sure. Uh, then I travel faster, and you know this is how things like dynos uh, got invented in rock climbing. And I, wow. I just I love that idea, and it's 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 the kind of thing that I, I wish more creatives. I I, I want to do the same thing. I'm sure there's tons of redundancy and silly things that if I removed a step, I would just make my life better and maybe make the lives of others better.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean when you start thinking in this framework, I mean I, I can't stop, kind of like. Uh, preaching this framework, because I mean, if, I, I think so many things that everybody just takes for granted is like genius ideas. And they are really good ideas. If you think, look at things like Uber and Airbnb and all these other things, and totally. these are really disruptive, good ideas, but you can really easily then kind of uh, see where these guys, I mean, they didn't, they didn't, you know. To specifically apply this principle, but you can see how, like, just the fact that if you really understood how people have a process in the world and you start kind of shaving off steps you'd come up with these ideas and a lot more ideas. So yeah, I mean, if, if you kind of look at the process of writing or look at all these other processes we have as creative people and, and, and workers and, and even trying to like make the lives of other people better in healthcare and our families, there's a whole lot of steps you can start, you know, just start removing and, and, and you, yep, you'll, you'll come up with some other cool stuff.
0: You know, as we turn a corner and, and, and finish up this conversation, I definitely want to honor your time. At the start of the show, I talked a little bit about how, in many ways, your your passion is not only to, to figure out better tools and processes for yourself, but to take those and share those things with others. And you've done that a ton, like in the open source community over at GitHub. You have the coolest GitHub handle I think I've ever heard. Isn't it just N eight. I mean, who, who gets yeah. that? I mean, that's that's better than yeah. EV at Twitter. Are you kidding? But really, the bigger thing that's awesome is your attitude of building cool things for you. The infrastructure or tools that other people could then iterate off of, which is seems like what Draft is about. And I wonder if you could predict a little bit moving forward, given the high speed of what seems like rapid shifting and changing in so many different creative industries or any industry where people have to be creative, what's your sense of like where this is all going? Like, it seems as though you are positioning your creativity, not only in creating cool things for you, but creating cool things that could benefit others. And that seems strategic. Like that seems like a, a philosophy of of creating and making money from your creations that's pretty progressive. Uh, any thoughts on on that relative to maybe our listeners and how they might want to position what they're building?
1: That's Man, that's that. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. That's complicated. I don't I don't think I'm gonna have the greatest answer for this. But I guess I mean, the only I'm, I guess I'm not maybe so good at predicting stuff as I am just kind of observing stuff. And, and maybe that's that's may, maybe I see it before somebody else does. I mean, I look at I look at the, my friends and I look at the people around me. I mean, so many people are now starting their own businesses and starting things that they want to turn into businesses. And I don't think that trend is going to die out. I mean, I think more, I mean, we just keep getting more and more tools to start businesses from things like Kickstarter, putting our stuff on Etsy. You know, we have platforms now like Heroku and Amazon to like throw up websites and applications and, and app stores where we can start selling things. I mean, it's just going to get. It's just going to continue that we can start making a living and making things. So I don't know. I mean, the only thing I guess I predict is more people are just going to start becoming kind of one man shops and one man entrepreneurs rather than going into the corporate world. I mean, I, I, there's just so many more. There's so much more power for us to to make stuff and make a living from it than what we used to have to do, which was like get out of college, start interviewing at, at giant corporations, and and hopefully we you know get on the the low person on the totem pole kind of thing. And we can just start, you know, doing our own thing. I I don't know. I think that's just going to keep growing and growing, you know, Etsy and, and these things that empower us are just going to, just going to get better and better.
0: Hmm. You know, I'm, i I'm really tempted. I got to ask this one last question that relates to this. Yeah, sure. You know, uh, a while back we had the chance to have Seth on the, sh- Seth Godin on the show and we we're talking a little bit about this dynamic. And one of the things that he alluded to was, there are these powerful tools and some people are like oh it's doomsday whereas seth goes yeah this is the best opportunity we've ever had to to create but he also differentiated between yeah a lot of people have tools to go build stuff now but there is a difference between people who are building artistic things things that 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 people just pause and go, oh, well, that's a new angle on an old idea or or something like that. that. That is what gives people kind of massive opportunity in contrast with, you know, powerful tools that everybody can kind of do the same thing with. It doesn't seem like that's going to get anywhere near the result because there's such an abundance of people who have access to the same tools. And I'm wondering if you have any insights on that dynamic of, you know, given that everyone has these powerful platforms now to make stuff and to sell what they make. What, what are going to be the differentiators between those who really make it and the, and the hordes of people who, who just—I don't know. It doesn't seem like they're making anything fresh.
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, I don't know. Again, th- that's a deep question that I'm not sure I have the, the best articulated answer for. But, I mean, I think about like what I've done with draft. There, there's something about, I guess, that I've done with Draft that that I do think you know people seem to kind of resonate with it. That seems to be fresh. You know, like you mentioned, like this idea of the copy editing service inside. Like I mean, we've had Microsoft Word for I don't know what thirty years or something. When did that come out? Yeah. 20, 20 years ago, twenty five years ago? Oh,
0: a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I and mean, it's it's even based on on other software that's been out even longer, and yet never has Microsoft Word had a button inside to like, you know, call a, a pro for copy editing. Yeah. Um, the only thing I, I I feel like that helps me, I mean, this is, I guess, where I, the only place I can come from is the stuff that helps me think uniquely is simply really just trying as hard as I can to understand the true process people have. And it's not easy. I mean, this is, I think, what separates the people who can do this and the people who don't do this is really just I'm afraid to say it, but just maybe laziness. I mean, people want to not do the work. People want to, you know, make money tomorrow. And and everything I've done with, with draft and with my blogging, it's been a really long process. It, it hasn't, what you see is a culmination of like a lot of things, a lot of pain along the way of just experimenting and trying new things. But, you know, because I've been spending all this time, like understanding the process of a writer I have unique insight to it. And I think if, if a lot more people kind of spent the time and did the work, kind of understand the, the stuff around them and not, not try to just make quick assumptions. If you spend the time on it and you spend the work on it and you realize that there's a lot of value in just kind of the, the time you're going to spend pursuing these interests, you're going to come up with some unique thoughts just because you're, you're, you know this stuff so much more than everyone else who's kind of just trying to fake their way through it.
0: Nate, thank you so much for being on Converge. Can you share a little bit of how, how people can find you and your stuff?
1: Sure. Um, the best place to kind of just keep track of what I do is just my blog, ninjasandrobots.com. Um, I talk about draft there. I talk about all this kind of stuff there. Um, I'm also just at Twitter at Nate Cotney. Hit me up on Twitter. I love answering questions and doing this kind of stuff. So yeah, just, yeah, feel free to reach out.
0: This was episode 030 of Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast
1: convergepodcast.com
0: is our home where you'll find past episodes as well as go our annual gathering for creatives looking to make a difference with their creations music today provided by Music.com sound as good as you look thanks to anna quaza at acreative.co for her audio production and a special thanks to nathan for being with us Visit him at ninjasandrobots.com. As usual, I want to thank you for spreading the word about the show. When you leave questions and comments on the site and rate us on places like iTunes, we recognize that you caring enough to do that sort of thing is a really big deal. And we're grateful. That's for now. I'm Dane Sanders. I'll see you here next time.